We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical mental suit, my physical as well as my mental suit fitness. Coffee time. And welcome to the Amokan Coffee Social Club, Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. I'm Jason Floyd, your host, and as always with me is, uh, well actually she wasn't here last week, she's back now with a smile on her face, Loretta Eaton. And once again we have uh, Dave Saldivar, uh, who graced us with his presence last week. If you missed that show, I encourage you to tune in. Uh, Dave is a federal employee and gave us some insights onto uh, some of the things facing federal employees this this uh, holiday season. And um, But he was coming back in for a cup of coffee and we snagged him. So I want you guys to participate in a little uh, call and response activity that I've prepared for today. Every time I say, let's go, you say Brandon, okay? <laughs> All right. Let's okay. go. Brandon. Let's go. Brandon. Let's go. Brandon. Hey, let's go. Brandon. All right, Brandon. We love you, Brandon. So uh, if you don't know what that's all about, you are living in a cave on the backside of a mountain out in the middle of the wilderness and don't have internet, television, radio, or any other form of media available to you. Let's go. Brandon is taking the nation by storm. The world the by world. storm, actually, Brand yeah, it, I, it's like number one on iTunes Germany, right yeah. now. There, there's, yeah, yeah. So, so um, I think there's a lot of people that resonate with "Let's Go Brandon." Mm-hmm. I heard on One American News this morning that they said that uh, it was over seventy percent of the U.S. population approved. Yeah, and uh, there were only seventeen percent of those who felt that uh, the "Let's Go Brandon" version. Um, uh, translation of the other words um, was a, an appropriate uh, um, uh, phrase to use in public discourse. Yeah, but then it, on the other hand, uh, it, it's we're allowed to show chopped off heads of Donald Trump and uh, you know Shakespearean plays in which he shows up on the stage and they murder him. Oh, gee, let's go, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. On that, if anybody's really wondering what "Let's Go Brandon" is about. Pick up and watch some uh, college football games and listen yeah. to the chants in the background, and you'll, you'll put it together. Well, and, and you know, the, for that guy that's living in the cave on the backside of the mountain out in the wilderness with no media, um, this all originated from a NASCAR um, mm-hmm. event where a Fox News reporter was, or uh, was it Fox? No, or, I don't no, think no. C- CBS or something, CNN. I think. Uh, one one of those one of those fake news channels was uh, they're interviewing, trying to interview uh, this this NASCAR driver Brandon, uh, who had just won his race, and the crowd behind him was so loud saying "F Joe Biden," that uh, the the uh, news reporter said, "Man, listen to them! They're so enthusiastic that let's go, Brandon!" You know, and it was like, seriously. All right. So anyway. Um, we got, as usual, a stack of stuff to talk about today, and um, I wanted to take this opportunity, however, to uh, let folks know about Standifer Stoneworks. Do you guys know about Standifer Stoneworks? Yep. What do you know, Dave? I've, just, I've been by there a couple of times looking for uh, marble. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for projects. That's about all I know on that. Okay. Have you you, you haven't bought a kitchen trailer yet? Not yet. Well, shame on you. So uh, anyway, uh, our buddy over there, Dave Standerford, does a great job making kitchens and uh, making your dreams come true for that high-end uh, finish on your house. You know, the kitchen really is an important place. We spend, I don't know how much of our life we spend there. I live in a kitchen here at the shop. You know, our shop is just one glorified kitchen. But, um, uh, you know, Dave hooked us up a little while ago. We have a new drive through over on K Beach that's uh, we're getting the signs for that this week, and that shop is called Eagles Perk, and it's right in front of the Cook Inlet Academy Christian School, whose mascot is the eagle. Uh, no mistake there in the name, but uh, that's a community project that uh, Ammo Can Coffee is sponsoring and working with the school on, and we'll be employing students here uh, later on in the year. But uh, Dave was kind enough to hook us up with all the materials for our countertops in there and um he he uh he did so on barter awesome so he gets like free coffee for life and uh which which he loves right now because he's laid up with an achilles tendon uh, injury so he his wife drops him off here it's kind of an adult daycare for dave and uh, uh but he comes in and reads the newspaper and drinks his his uh his bartered coffee and uh, uh, gets daily abuse from the baristas and you know uh, we want to just shout out to, to Dave also make you aware of the drive through uh, which is open uh, six days a week Monday through Saturday uh, we've had a couple of uh, equipment failures lately and so we had to shut down I bought a brand new boy trying to find a a espresso machine to replace the one we just lost I've never had, I, I've never bought a new piece of equipment since 2015 when we started this business. We never bought a new piece of equipment because there's always so much used equipment available out there. But like the used car market, you can't find any. And what you do find, you know, the wheels are falling off and the windshield's cracked and, you know, the engine might run. And uh, so that's the the pickings are slim out there with this uh, supply chain issue. Yeah, and we get all this information about the supply chain issues off the West Coast and all the uh, uh, container ships. What's also going on on the East Coast? So all these yeah. espresso machines coming in from Italy, um, they're all sitting out there in the ocean waiting. Yeah, yeah, and and so so uh, I had to settle on uh, I bought a Ranchilio Series Five. <laughs> A single group machine which is not profitable in your drive-through application no. because if you get a big long line of people you're really gonna have to hoof it to, to, to get things out the window quick but uh, fortunately we have excellent baristas who are well trained and can do that but uh, that was an unexpected expense and a difficulty last week that I was navigating but anyway uh, so thank you to Dave and uh, if you haven't been over to his shop recently it's over there on K Beach uh, over by Fishing Game and uh, uh, just before you get it's on the same side of the road as Outlaw Body and Paint so uh, check it out he's got some beautiful granite in there and he's got a, a, a showroom and a design team that can help uh, make your dreams a reality so Anyway, um, I came across an interesting uh, website that I wanted to make you aware of. Uh, this is uh, the Wyoming Liberty Group website, uh, wyliberty.org. And, um, you know, I, 
I was looking for a really brief write-up of this idea of a government of laws and not of men. Because it seems that we are getting more and more laws that are created by men just randomly through edict or uh, mandate or declaration rather than um, by the people. And uh, when the government is made up of powerful men and women rather than by laws that are passed by the people, we start to have problems. And so uh, John Adams was the one who was credited with uh, this quote um, talking about our government being a government of laws and not of men. And uh, Benjamin Barr, who is uh, the author of this um, this uh, article written back in June of 2014, I think he really, uh, he really captured the idea behind this. And I want to take a brief minute to read the article and then encourage you to go to the website and check it out. There's a lot of uh, interesting stuff here. But this is uh, over at the Wyoming Liberty Group. I've written extensively about campaign finance reform and its danger to the First Amendment. Through a republic free choice, I'd like to examine this theme a bit more deeply. John Adams once expressed the familiar phrase that ours is a government of laws and not of men. This statement means that in a free society, government rules must be fixed and understandable. Laws may not be so complicated that they prevent average citizens from exercising basic liberties, nor may government rules be formulated or changed by whim. <coughs> Fauci. <coughs> Excuse me. All too often, laws promoting good government through campaign finance reform violate these very premises. Imagine getting fired up about a controversial move by a neighboring town to annex your local neighborhood. You'd like to gather your friends to oppose the land grab and speak out about them, uh, about town council members who support it. In doing so, you learn that this is no easy task. Citizens must register with the state as a political entity, fill out complicated paperwork, and report frequently about finances, operations, and more. For many, being buried neck deep in paperwork just to speak their minds isn't even worth it. Think about the all too popular political raids going or gaining notoriety over the past few years. In early 2014, Eric O'Keefe, noted political activist, found himself embroiled in a massive, anonymous John Doe investigation in Wisconsin. His supposed crime? Coordinating the discussion of issues about fiscal restraint between groups and public office holders. That's horrible. Or consider former Speaker of the House Tom DeLay's near decade-long battle just to prove that money swaps often performed by Democrats and Republicans alike are entirely lawful when he did the same. When campaign finance efforts use vague terms provide prosecutors with open-ended discretion, and leave nearly all guessing what they mean, everyone suffers. Political pros and local grassroots alike need a government of laws, not of men, to secure their First Amendment rights. This is not a battle between a supposed oligarchy and average Americans for control of the republic. 
it is not a battle to protect corrupt political practices. It is a battle to firmly protect robust free expression while limiting the potential for those in power to shut down dissent. Now remember, this was written in 2014. I wonder how the author, Mr. Barr, would look back on those statements about shutting down political dissent and the oligarchy. I think he may have a slightly different perspective because it seems to me I may be wrong here. I'm, you know, I am fallible, um, but it seems to me that uh, the oligarchy, the oligarchy, has a lot more power than um, than this uh, this article suggests. Bright line rules that limit the reach of creative bureaucrats and ambitious prosecutors preserve the First Amendment rights of everyone. Disreputable politicians will come and go and scandals will ebb and flow, all subject to citizen control at the ballot box. Again, at the ballot box. This was in 2014. I wonder if the author might look back at the last election cycle and have the same analysis. But campaign finance laws undo a fundamental premise of our nation by failing to protect the ability of our citizenry to robustly criticize those in power and engage in sharp public debate. Now, I had a conversation with a gentleman a couple weeks ago about this, talking about political action committees and super PACs, or PACs as they're called. Because basically, that's what a PAC does, is it consolidates a bunch of funding together from a a wide variety of sources usually. Uh, Sometimes there's some very large donors in, in that. But because... Uh, there are no restrictions on how PACs gather their money or limitations other than they cannot be part of a candidate's committee. Um, they get often get criticized. But if we look to our own community and we look at Soldatna and what Soldatna is trying to do with their annexation, I mean, it was apropos that he was using this annexation idea, um, and look at the areas they are trying to annex, we can clearly see the bureaucrats and the politicians making a power grab to uh, unfairly exercise their taxing authority upon a group of people who bring prosperity to the community but have no representation on the assembly because most of the people in the annexed areas are business owners because they're not annexing huge areas of residential land. They're annexing almost exclusively these business zones Mm -hmm. so they can collect more taxes through sales tax and property tax and whatnot and and uh, but those owners don't have an ability to uh, go after them uh, and and vote even at the ballot box seems like this was addressed at one point in our history it's called taxation without representation and that's what they're getting ready to do these people don't have a voice to come in to be able to do anything about it, but the crown mm-hmm. is going to reach out and say, we own you now. Right. Well, you know, I, I know one business owner. Um, if you're looking for a good gunsmith, you should go and check out uh, Jason Game, G-A-H-M. People call him Gam, but it's pronounced Game. We graduated from the same high school class out in Nikiski in 95. But... Um, uh, he had his uh, shop originally, he brought it into town because uh, he had it out in Nikiski at his house and uh, <laughs> wanted better exposure. So 
I convinced him to come and open a shop in the Central Peninsula Mall, just down the hall from our first shop, because I thought it would be a good business partnership. We could cross-refer clients, you know, and uh, customers. And he was there for a while, but his business grew so rapidly and quickly that that, that uh, uh, he had to hire some folks to help him. And then uh, he didn't have the ability to test fire the guns that he was taking in, which a, a common practice for a gunsmith is to have a device called a snail. And a snail is just a, a basically like a big shell that you can shoot a gun into and it captures the projectile in the snail. And, um, and because of the gun ordinances in the city, he was not allowed to live fire a gun in his shop into the snail. So he uh, moved out of the mall. He got a place just outside city limits, which ends at Night Drive. And uh, there's, a, I think, a snowplow place in the, in the shop he used to have. <clears throat> and he went through great expense to build that shop out and put his snail in. And as soon as he caught traction and uh, it was a great location visibly and, and whatnot, all of a sudden the city decided that they were going to come in and start pushing this annexation, which would have recaptured him under those ordinances, and he would not have been grandfathered. So again, he had to move further away from town. He moved up the hill, and that's where his uh, gun shop is now, up at the top of the hill as you leave Soldat and headed to Kenai. But, uh, you know, taxation without representation and, and the creation of laws that directly impact one's business and... and um, you know, and through annexation, you know, just forced, coerced, you know, um, seizing of your ability, your, your freedom to exercise, you know, um, commerce, you know, free enterprise. So the, the, I thought that this, this article was, was good on a couple of different levels. And, and um, you know, we talk about COVID a lot. And uh, this article actually... I drew a correlation to a story I heard earlier this week about beagles. <laughs> Dr. Fauci's beagles. Dr. Fauci's beagles. He really beagles. liked beagles. He really, really had a passion for them. But you know, you know, you the, know. The, the this conversation about beagles. This is this is an interesting. So so again, I was listening to One American News, and One American News broke this story by talking about beagles. And they spent a long time talking about the poor beagles who were trapped in cages and had their heads, you know, put in these chambers where they would then be directly infected by these parasitic things. And, and because the beagles were in pain, they would bark a lot. And the researchers didn't like to listen to all the barking, so they cut their voice boxes out so they could suffer silently. And uh, that this went on for decades, mm -hmm. that this has been this ongoing study, and, and that there's no direct correlation to a benefit to humanity. They're just experimenting these dogs for the case of experimenting, you know, on them. And uh, the reason that they gave for using beagles is because they're so docile that even under abuse, they won't bite their handlers. There's a lot of correlation to that. And it has to do with um, have we become that docile exactly. that we're not going to yep. bite the hands of our handlers? Give me give me your yep. best beagle. Yep. Oh. Can, can you give me a beagle? 
I don't think no. I can. I can give you. A <laughs> but but how does that how does that differ between sure they're you know and the treatment they're giving people for COVID, they haven't proven that the treatment they're using does any any good, and there's other treatments that have that that uh, you know maybe not there's not random controlled trials for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and some of the you know the vitamin series and things like that they're given but there's real world evidence which at some point you have to sit down and go well gee maybe we should give it a try, like India did like you know Japan. Well, and I, how is that any different? They're treating us like beagles. I, I found this story to be ironic because in a former life, I was a social worker. And as a social worker, I started, I didn't choose that, that uh, vocation lightly. It wasn't my first choice, my second choice, or even my 10th choice. Uh, after I got out of college, I came back to the Kenai Peninsula looking for a, pro- a professional or paraprofessional position. I had a, a certificate of paralegal. Um, I had a degree in political science, philosophy, and economics. And I was looking to get into an entry-level policy position. Mm. I interviewed at a number of places, the last of which was uh, the borough mayor's office. And they needed a community liaison to represent the mayor all over the borough when he couldn't go to these meetings and then report back to the borough mayor. And at that time, I didn't really care who I worked for, and um, I wasn't as solid in my political persuasions as I am today. And I interviewed with uh, then-Mayor Mike Navarre. I'm so sorry. Well, well, Mike Navarre um, did not hire me, uh, in retrospect, thankfully, I think. But but he did uh, tell me I was the runner-up candidate. And I sat down with an interview with him because I wanted to know how I could polish my resume, what, why I wasn't selected, what I could have done differently. He said, basically, I had all the qualifications necessary. I just lacked any real-world experience working in the field. Well, I had just gotten out of college. And so he had hired a guardian ad litem. A guardian ad litem is a person that the court appoints to represent children who are taken into foster care. And uh, there to speak on behalf of the child, because in, in court cases, they, they believe that, uh, that they can be the only truly neutral voice, an advocate for the child. And since children don't have standing in court and can't speak for themselves, somebody has to. And they're not going to let the parents, because that's uh, the people in question who the child was taken away from, they're not going to let the state, because the state has a vested interest in proving that it did everything it was supposed to legally, um, and uh, might be known to, you know, subdue some facts and, you know, uh, not call attention to some protocol missteps and things. And so, so the guardian ad litem is supposed to be there to protect the kids. Well, he had hired a guardian ad litem, and that, that launched me in the direction. He said, if you want to know policy, he said, go work for OCS. Back then it was called DFYS, the Division of Family and Youth Services now called the Office of Children's Services, which they've conveniently removed the name, fam- the word family from that and become singularly focused on, uh, many would argue, on kids only and not the family. And uh, so I went to work for OCS. I went out to the villages and worked out in Antioch and worked in Bethel. And um, later on in life, I went and I worked uh, for the No Eskimo community um, on the other side of the aisle, advocating for Native children who OCS was trying to take away from their parents and tribes. And um, I carried a, a professional license that entire time that I worked uh, doing that. Well, 
in my education to I had to be re-educated because I didn't study social work. Um, I had to take continuing education. I had to sit for the exam, so I had to do a bunch of studying. I did that correspondence for about 10 months. I learned a little bit about the history of child protection. And, you know, children historically have been treated by the legal system as chattel. So... Um, you want to look up the definition for the word chattel? That would be a good definition for us to Cows. read. Cows. Cows. <laughs> Goats. I, I think that's cattle. No, chattel. Chattel. Things. Chattel. Things that you things. own. Things, right, right. Things you own. Cows. So things but, you own. But I always and think of it as like animal typey thing, live things. You know? Right, right. So, so back in the day, you know, even wives were considered to be chattel. Just property. 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 property, property, property. But I was thinking so, of it like as, as human property. You right. Know, like, like right. Slaves. Slaves, slaves would slaves. have been chattel. Slaves or chattel. chattel. Slaves or serfs. Right. Kind Serf. of the direction we're headed. So, so, so back in the day, in the very beginning of the uh, civil rights movement and uh, protection of uh, hu- the human rights movement, actually, um, back when they were talking about, you know, maybe we shouldn't employ children to work in mines when they're seven years old. And maybe they should, that, that children do have some inherent rights, you know, to be properly cared for and, and loved and uh, not abused. Um, they, they couldn't catch any traction because <laughs> nobody agreed that uh, children were not uh, just sort of uh, biological slaves, that you could just spawn another one if you needed to increase your workforce at the farm, you know. And so... Um, Ironically, the American Humane Society is credited with birthing the child protection industry. And it is an industry. And they used, they pulled on people's heartstrings to talk about the abuse of animals. Because nobody cared about the kids, Mm -hmm. right? They were chattel. Mm -hmm. But when you talked about those poor horses that were being beaten and neglected, not fed properly, you know, the ones that they would work to death in the mines, uh, or they talked about, you know, um, the dogs that were being fought, you know, in dogfighting rings, or or the uh, chickens, you know, the cockfights and that sorts of things, that um, they pulled on the heartstrings of a broad cross-section of American housewives mm-hmm. yep. and we all know that if the man is the head of the household the wife is the neck mm-hmm. and it tells the head where to go mm-hmm. and so um ironically child protection came out of the protection of animals so in this story that uh one american news broke about beagles it was interesting that they followed up their beagle conversation with this sort of lesser focused story about Dr. Fauci and AIDS Mm -hmm. and foster children. So back in the 80s, Fauci was in charge of all the AIDS research going on uh, from the federal government. And during his watch, uh, they identified a vulnerable population that was easy to manipulate and easier to control and uh, was under the radar. Nobody cared about and that was foster kids. And so 
you can go back and uh, don't use Google, but use DuckDuckGo mm-hmm. and look up Dr. Fauci, AIDS and yep. foster kids. Yep. And you will be shocked and horrified mm-hmm. because Dr. Fauci does not care about your children. Mm-hmm. It, apparently, he does not care about anything but Dr. Fauci and his research. And um, in, in the stories about uh, what they were doing to these foster kids, uh, it talks about the government giving them experimental medications. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it was all legal and above board because mm-hmm. they were supposed to ha- have advocates, much mm-hmm. like that guardian ad litem, right? Somebody to speak for the children. Ironically, very few of these kids ever were appointed advocates. And uh, there are several stories that talk about how uh, the, the, the government didn't follow its own record-keeping protocols. Why do you suppose that is? What would it benefit them not to keep accurate records? Plausible deniability. Plausible deniability, right, right. And so, so there was an NPR uh, story. What, we, what year was that, Loretta? 2005. 2000. A whole bunch of stories. Uh, CNN, CBS, and NPR. Right, and, and they used some operative language. Oh, what was it? No direct? There, there were no direct records yeah, for, yeah. Of, of any deaths occurring regarding yeah. the, the uh, medical experimentation kind of, being kind of done like on the children. The COVID vaccine injuries, they can't find a correlation between a kid gets a vaccine in the morning and has a heart attack in the afternoon. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Right. No, no direct correlation. But but there were several stories that said that they did not follow their own record yeah. keeping protocols. So yeah. while CNN and and uh, NPR may say you know no records could be found mm-hmm. showing linking any of this experimentation to the deaths of children, what they're doing is they're omitting the fact that the emphasis should have been no records yeah. were found. <laughs> <laughs> and that that maybe should have been the focus. No records were found. Well, why weren't the records found? Well, A, maybe they were never kept, or B, they were destroyed. Yeah. Well, you, you destroy the evidence, yeah. you know, and it's even more convenient if you don't allow, if you don't write down the evidence. Well, and if the child is never given a advocate mm-hmm. to report the yeah. contrary, yeah. To, to, to raise a flag and say, wait, wait, wait a second. Yeah. Well, that's assuming the advocates weren't already bought and paid for. Well, and they That's said, a whole different they story. Said, they said that in, in, in few cases, there were only a few cases mm-hmm. where children actually received the advocates that were promised. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I did read one story that talked about, you know, um, some reporting that, that a large number of children got very sick mm-hmm. from, from the uh, medication after. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't say from the medication. They said after, after. taking after. the medication. So notice the way that they yeah. twist mm-hmm. the words, yeah. right? Um, nothing to see here. No. So now we're going to flash forward. We're going to jump forward and talk about um, uh, this uh, news story in the Alaska Watchman. Juno preps to jab kids 5 to 11 with COVID shots despite great uncertainty. So Juno is a very special place. There's a special kind of crazy in the water in Juneau. What must be why somebody just moved in down the road from me from Juneau, like he's fleeing? I can't believe it. Yeah, no, no. I would, I would, I would ask anyone, any, any conscientious, patriotic, common sense person who loves their children, to leave Juneau. 
Juno needs to be a ghost town because people need to flee Juno. The, the people that are setting policy in Juno are crazy. They're absolutely wacky. Sarah Hannon, representative for the Juno area, also another story in Alaska. Watchman was the one who was saying there was benefits to uh, Nazi research on uh, mm. medical experimentation on, on some of their prisoners. You know, it's that kind of politician that Juno elects. And so uh, for those of you, those, those God-loving uh, folks in Juno, don't be victimized. Don't let these these government officials do this to your kids having worked at OCS I know a little bit about child protection and what happens and one of the biggest travesties I think that happens is that OCS has this their their protections for reporters they've weaponized OCS it's it's been weaponized a long long time so somebody can file a report against you and say that your children are being abused or neglected. And OCS has to follow up on every report. And so they'll give them a priority level uh, based on the number uh, or the, the severity of the abuse that's being claimed. And depending on the priority level, then they have a certain period of time in which they have to go and make a face-to-face contact with the child and interview them. Oftentimes, this is without a parent present. And even if they have a negative finding that there's no, no uh, abuse seems to have occurred, that still is kept in an electronic yeah, database. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then mm-hmm. a couple months later, maybe the same person who just hates you because you keep blowing leaves into their lawn <laughs> reports on you again. Or maybe your dog pees on their flowers or, or whatever, right? They report on you again. There's no way for you to find out who's reporting against you because their name is protected. They can make an anonymous report, right? And so then that, uh, let's say another contact is had and you have another negative finding. Well, these add up. Yeah. And over time, the, the, the conscious place that a lot of OCS workers go, and I've sat in the staff meetings and watched it happen, is where there's smoke, there's probably fire. Mm-hmm. So we have five negative reports of harm against somebody. There's got to be something here. Mm-hmm. So they start digging and digging and digging. And pretty soon the kids clue in, especially if they're young children, clue in that something must be wrong with me because these people mm-hmm. come keeping, keep mm-hmm. coming and telling me something's wrong with me or that, that they're concerned something bad is happening to me. So, so kids are pretty impressionable. And if you don't have a well-trained uh, social worker who's following the law and using the forensic interviewing skills that they're supposed to be, where they're not using leading questions and everything's done properly, they can very easily mm-hmm. compel a child into making and believing a false statement. Because kids will continue to answer your questions until they get a favorable response from the person asking the questions. Mm-hmm. So you could ask the kid, you know, how many times were you beaten last week? Well, I wasn't beaten. Well, how many, you know, you may not have been beaten, but how many times were you hit? Mm. Not, you know, have you ever felt uncomfortable? Mm. What did that feel like? What did it look like? Open-ended questions that allow Mm. a child to express, you know, that. But these targeted questions. And and if you ask a little kid this question over and over and over in, in a 
variety of different ways, eventually the child will tell you what you want to hear because they want you to be yeah. pleased with them. Yeah. And you're not pleased with them as long as you keep asking the question. Mm -hmm. and, and kids have these plastic brains that are very moldable. Mm -hmm. So my concern with this story about Juno prepping to jab kids 5 to 11 is that we need to look down the road and say, where are we headed with this? Because it's already apparent that Dr. Fauci does not really care about life. Mm -mm. He's willing, his, his, his sole motive is research and maybe profit. Uh, you're pretty generous with that. But I, th I, think he's, I think he's an evil man. But, you know, if, if we're going to just say, what do we know? Yeah. Well, we know what right. we know about his research with foster kids. Yeah. We know that he's not going to allow, uh, you know, government regulation and rules to get in the way of what he wants. Right. And so when we, when we see this large medical experiment that we're all, you know, having to participate in or being compelled to participate in, many of us, mm -hmm. um, and then we look at our children, what's the logical direction we can head? See coming down the road. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't send your kids to school, did you know that that's called medical or uh, educational neglect? Mm -mm. Didn't know that. If you don't provide for their schooling at home and you just don't send them to school because you're afraid that they may have to wear a mask and somebody's going to inject them with something you don't approve of, the state can actually come after you for educational neglect. So then how are homeschoolers protected? How are homeschoolers protected then? They're keeping records of their homeschooling. Yeah. So they are being schooled. They're, they they're are being, being schooled. So, so they're meeting the, the letter. And, it's, and so there's a lot of organizations out there yeah. like Connections Homeschool, which is part of the school yeah. district. Yeah. Um, the IDEA program, which is part of the Galena School District. Um, there's a number of different um, so school home, district yeah. funded yeah. homeschool programs. Yeah. And what they're set in place to do is document and yeah. keep record that the kids are actually yeah. getting educated. Now, there yeah. are people out there doing their own homeschool. Yeah. And I was I was one of those that we did our own homeschool. Are, we kept our own records. Yeah. We didn't want to be a part of a system that could actually put us in a, an electronic file or an yeah. electronic database right. anywhere. So then the burden falls upon you because in this system, yeah. the, state, the state Supreme Court has already said that in child protection cases, that this evidentiary standard by which they try cases is even lower than the civil standard, evidentiary standard. So, so if you follow... In a criminal case, you have this standard that is beyond the shadow of a reasonable doubt, okay. right? The evidence presented against you has to show beyond the shadow of reasonable doubt by a jury of your peers that you committed a crime. Well, in a civil case, it's a more likely than not. 51% chance. So the evidence that comes out in a civil case can say is that 51% likely that you actually committed this, uh, this act that harmed your neighbor. You know, you cut a tree down and it fell on his truck. You know, well, there was a windstorm that night and 
but the tree was pretty cleanly cut. You know, <laughs> you know well, that might be uh, more on the, the criminal side of the, the evidentiary standard. But, but the, the, the point is, is that, that it's much lower in civil cases. Well, the Alaska Supreme Court, and I don't have the case cite, citation here because I just, this is organically coming out of my life experience. I've read the case uh, law before, but the, the, the Supreme Court, the state of Alaska said that in a case where a child um, abuse allegation is, that the standard lowers to, and I'm trying to remember the exact language, the idea of um, a greater likelihood. Mm. And so I read the dissenting opinion, because it wasn't a unanimous decision, but the dissenting opinion, um, the judge who wrote that, said, to use this standard is to say that if there's a million or 10,000 or whatever, really really high number of lottery tickets, right? Let's say you're doing the Nanana Ice Classic, and there's 10,000 tickets out there, and one person buys one ticket, and another person buys 10 tickets, that the person who buys 10 tickets is more likely to win than the person who buys one. Mm -hmm. And that's the standard with which they approach child protection cases. So in the case of uh, David as, as the, the homeschooled parent who mm -hmm. decides not to be part of a established system but to do their own homeschooling themselves and keeping their own records, the burden of proof falls entirely upon you to prove you are not guilty because there's mm. no presumption of innocence mm. because they've watered it down to this likelihood standard. Is it more likely that the child is going to be abused in a home that is not connected to any government entity mm. than the child who is connected to a government entity? Well, the liberal uh, social worker would say, well, yes, it's more likely because there's fewer people watching. There's fewer yeah. people, yeah. mandatory reporters interacting mm -hmm. with that child. That child is being isolated in the woods, uh, you know, by a bunch of backwards th thinking, half bred, you know, uh, you know, hillbillies. Because that's what the common, you know, homeschool yeah. parent is painted as. Yeah. But right. COVID showed us. Yeah. Everybody had to become a homeschool parent, and that kind of the only thing I think positive thing that came out of COVID. There's only a couple of things. I think working at home was one of those, proving we don't have to be in a brick and mortar down the street, but we can actually be productive at home. Mm -hmm. The second being that homeschool is not a bad idea, and that actually kids can excel, and parents become more engaged in education, and then start to ask questions about things like critical race theory. Yeah, and like, they, what the heck yeah. is this? They actually sat in on some of the Zoom, uh, you know, classroom exercises and went, "Whoa, that's what my kid's learning. Very interesting." Right, right. Very so, interesting. so, but the but the the real danger here is is that in a state where where the law says that educational neglect can be grounds for removal of a child. If they tie, as they're doing in some places, COVID jab mandates to participation in school, and now you don't, you, you don't have the accepted records of homeschool that they're looking for, and you don't have your child enrolled in a, in a public school that's mandating shots, they could claim mm -hmm. that 
not only are you guilty of educational neglect, but you're also guilty of something called medical neglect. Mm. Yeah, and you, what thing is, you're, you're absolutely right. You follow that logic, but that is what is coming down the road. That's right. right. Now. That's right. So for all of those out there saying, you know, I homeschool, so this really isn't, you know, a big deal. When the schools are allowed to mandate and it becomes a requirement, they already do this with traditional vaccines, that your kids can't go to a public school without having these vaccinations. Yeah, but the thing with the traditional vaccines, they, they carved out a huge segment up until recently, up until the last, I, I know when measles started coming back, they, you know, they started to look at some of these exemptions. But they, they allowed a tremendous amount of exemptions, even in states like California. So, and this is what COVID, with COVID, which is interesting, they're not allowing exemptions you know, whether medical or, or, or religious. So that's interesting. Well, and, and then also, you know, um, the, the exemptions that, that are coming down, uh, I contest our registrations. They're not, ex- they're, they're not just a, an exemption. They are a formalized systemic, sy- systematic way to register those who dissent. Who, exactly. who refuse to comply. Yeah. So if you say, I'm religious, and therefore I have a religious exemption, they'll say, how religious? how religious? Define your religion. Tell us how long you've held this belief. Because it's no longer acceptable to say, well, I converted an hour ago yeah. or five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. No, no, you have, to, you have to have held these beliefs for a significant amount of time. I know that's what they're telling you. But the problem is people think they have to answer right. those questions. And you do not have to answer those questions. We generally try to be nice and, and give the question or what be- they want. We, we try to be beagle-ish. Beagle-ish, but beagle-ish. we've got to not be beagle-ish anymore. No. You've got to be like a chow-chow. Something, <laughs> keep your mouth shut and don't put up with it. Yeah. And just say, nope, that's it. How about a pit bull? Pit bull would work, you know. Too. Hey, pull, so pull my ears. So, pull my ears. I, I dare you. Pull my ears. Yeah. So, Dave, <laughs> you know, you're at FAA and you're under this. W- what about their exemptions? What are they? Are 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 you not even considering this? Well, well some we, of you guys. We we have to first say that Dave is not here uh, as an FAA employee, N- but he, oh no. He, and, well, he understands and he does it. not represent the FAA no, no. in this conversation. No. This is entirely okay. a private conversation. Yeah. But right. just published just, on a, yeah. a, a internet platform. <laughs> well, scary. speaking as a uh, American citizen, American the citizen. idea of a mandate for anything medical is anathema to me. It flies directly in the face of the Constitution, all our founding documents, all these things that these politicians, any public office holder has to take an oath to uphold and protect. And obviously, they don't either understand what they're doing. I think that they do understand what they're doing, and they just don't care. They've never taken to heart what it is to be an American. It's not about, this isn't about everybody deciding on the exact same religion or anything. We have a founding documents that we should be using for guiding principles across the, the, the that, entire spectrum. You know, that, that is a, um, that's a beautiful segue into a question I wrote in my notebook here. And that is, where are all of the American Democrats? Exactly. Where are they? Where are they? Because, because I remember a time not too long ago when American Democrats stood in the street and called for war. Because we were attacked on 
I remember American Democrats standing arm in arm with American Republicans and calling for blood and and because our ability to to engage in the system that guarantees liberty and freedom was under attack the system and i have to believe that there are democrats out there who still love liberty mm, i don't you i no i don't no i don't i don't think so i really i, I, think, I think you've answered your own question i, I think that they have they? i think that they no. have they that that those Mm-mm. that they have been bullied into a place of compliance and silence mm-hmm. and and that there are still democrats out there who love liberty but no. that they have allowed the woke uh squad like socialists to come and hijack their yeah. party you've 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 got more hope than i do i've always thought they were squishy and i think they deal totally on emotion which is what 911 was about 911 was totally about emotion and they're that segment of society that really doesn't want to look at anything logically. They just well, want to. Can we at least throw down a, a dare? What the dare? What would it be? I, I dare mean, you to demonstrate your Americanism, your your patriotism, you your your birthright. The, I dare you. I dare you. you I dare say? you to step up and show that you love this country. They won't. I dare you. No, they won't. They they don't because even the good liberals no longer believe that. They don't. They 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 just they have no belief. They're they're you know they're saying well you know it was good at one time but then Donald Trump came along and look at all the Trump people and orange and, man and, bad and orange man bad. Right, and that is of course a complete marginalization of everything. We're just going to throw a label out there. And that's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of being labeled on Facebook. They're afraid of having their YouTube videos labeled and taken down. They're afraid of the labeling. And so they're out, continue to live in fear, just like most of the country was afraid of this COVID and afraid of this and afraid of that. And right now we have a country that's mostly afraid of their government. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. How, how would you characterize the rapper Ice-T socially and politically? He's so liberal, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, you, so so yeah. here's where I beg the question. Yeah. And what so did he, I, know, what did he do now? I know, I know that we, we disagree sometimes yeah. on stupid versus, uh, I'm, you know. I'm for stupid. <laughs> She's for, I'm for stupid. stupid. He's, he's, actually, he's actually kinder than I am. But then I have she, an article here she that believes. says bon, uh, Bonhoeffer. Uh-huh. You yeah, recognize I, the name. Yeah, yeah. This, it's on stupidity, and it's it's where I'm coming from. So what, what, tell me about Ice T, though. I haven't so, seen so what he's Ice done T, lately. Ice T said, "Hell no." For what? Like a, I'm not going to get the COVID vaccine. Yep. He was he was on a he was on a uh, on a on a production uh, with Jack Black. Mm. They're filming a, a movie, and uh, they said that he had to get the the jab, and he said, "No, not going to do it." Can't make me. Got, not going to do it. So he got kicked off the production. It's all right. He stood up for what would be traditional liberal values of the country. Liberty. The tra- liberty. That's where that all comes from. And I've read the Bonhoeffer thing. I have gone through that. And I still, I see the stupidity that you're talking about. But I still think it tends more towards evil and ill intent than stupidity. Because what has happened in the country is not, they're not stupid to take over and train us with Facebook. They're not stupid to take over and train us with CNN and to believe everything come down. That was very carefully crafted to make it that way. Now, the stupidity comes in in the 
I'm going to line up Democrats and just do what I'm told because I can't think for myself. We need, we, need, we need to challenge those thinking Democrats in our community. Yeah, all three of you. Yes. You need to get, <laughs> need get with to it. Take, oh, gee, there's ten. Take your Come par- on, take your party, ten. Take your party back or leave the party altogether. Yeah. So that's the, that, that is the challenge. If you, are, if you consider yourself an American, a patriotic, liberty-loving American, either step up and take your party back and prove the point or leave the party and join the right side of thinking. And that goes to a lot of Republicans, too. Because right. I am That's not, right. I mean, the Republicans are doing the same thing. That's right. You only have your independent thinkers, and you have a few on the Democratic we, side. We need, you know, there, there is a party called the Libertarian Party. Right. And um, I don't always agree with Libertarians because I think they take some things really off the deep end. Um, but, but a party for liberty, just, just this idea, and maybe it's not a party at all, but just this grassroots percolation of, of outrage and activism, um, we need to come together as a community aside from the established Republican or established Democrat narrative and come together as a community and tell those establishment folks on both sides to pound sand. And I, in District yeah. 30 here, the House District 30, there are more unregistered voters than there are Democrats yeah. and Republicans. And so those unregistered voters and then also those those more conservative Republicans and those more free thinking Democrats that are not just going to be dogmatically you know, wooed by the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, those folks who love liberty, we need to come together and we yeah. need to put thinking critically minded liberty loving people on our school district. Uh, yeah. board in yeah. our city council yeah. assemb- and in our borough assemblies and they need to come together and you say we all don't have to agree on what we think yeah. that you ought to do and that you ought to do but here's our documents these are our founding documents this is what it says in here this is our spot where we start and everything has to support this well there's there's a group that's been <clears throat> meeting here every saturday after the podcast mm-hmm. called they're calling themselves uh, uh, Liberty Action AK, and that's the main premise of why they're gathering is is to talk about liberty, and um, and out of that group, there's an uh, individual who has decided to engage local pastors. Mm, how's that going? They, you know, um, so they they did a second a second meeting. It's every Monday at one. So, so they held their first meeting, had three pastors. Their second meeting, they had a, a fourth pastor. Great. Um, and the same statement is being made to the pastors. Throw your sectarian differences, your, I, yeah. your doctrinal uh, separations, yeah. uh, theological disagreements aside for a moment. You know, the really shameful and thing. And stand on liberty. But the stand shameful thing is liberty. they should have been here at the outset, and they should be the people lighting the fires yeah. for this. And the shameful thing is that we're having to reach out to them and ask them to, to do this well I, I don't want to shame them but no. I want to encourage I want people to I want people to encourage them to stand up in the position to which they have been elevated through their through their ordination yeah. and the, the yeah. their congregations have given them authority mm-hmm. to lead yeah and and as leaders um, you know now I understand many of these congregations they hire and fire their pastor yeah. so if you say something yeah. that the congregation doesn't like you may f- you may uh, face their ire 
you know, you might have some congregants leave and that might mean a, a difference in your paycheck because, you know, they might be large donors to the church. But uh, but we're asking pastors to stand on principle, mm-hmm. to stand on the idea that without liberty, yeah. we don't have freedom of speech. And without freedom of speech, we don't have the free expression of our religious beliefs. Yeah. So, you know, Dave, I know shame them, but you know, the ones who should really be ashamed is the Republican Party in Alaska. Because you know all those independent voters? They don't want to be Republicans because the Republican Party in Alaska is such a shameful. (laughs) I actually had had a a local businessman tell me, I don't want to be involved because the Republicans are too liberal. They are. No, they just, they they have no, they have no cohesiveness. No voters. No principles in the leadership. The the voters give them, uh, you know, give them what they want. We gave them a majority if they would hang on to it. They never did. You know, they were doing what we're supposed to as voters. And yet you keep getting. Then they go to Juno and they they always rush to the center. Yeah. And, and that's even, that is even the local organizations. I mean, the fact that we have two different women's Republican organizations, maybe <laughs> this is not a very nice thing to say, but they should get their act together. They don't get along. Yeah. Think about, <laughs> how, what is this? Think about this. They don't get along. They're cranky with each other. Middle school. Yeah. It's, they're acting like teenagers. Yeah. Well, I, get I, over I it. would argue that one of them is the establishment and the other is the, is the, the, the separation, yeah. the, the Tea Party Earth, the, well, the, the folks that are saying yeah, we're anti establishment. Yeah, but they're working their way into becoming the establishment. Right. It's not like they've changed much. You know, I mean, they maybe got a few people elected, um, and they're good hearted people. There's nothing, just like these pastors are good-hearted people. But I think these pastors got into the politics of it. You said, yeah, they can be fired. Well, that's great. But you don't go into being a pastor to play that game. Go work at Walmart. You know, McDonald's is looking for great people. You can work your way up real fast to McDonald's and probably make more than a pastor does. You you know, I had a conversation with a young man recently who had gone to seminary and he told me that, um, I'm not going to divulge his name, but he told me he left seminary because it was the wrong one. He got there and realized that uh, they were teaching stuff that he didn't really agree with. And I asked him why he went to seminary. He said, for the respect. And I said, tell me about that. What, what is, what's that about? And he said, well, you know, if you don't have the, the paperwork, the documentation, the degree from the seminary, you don't have the respect of the, your, your ordination is somehow, you know, lessened. And I I challenged him. I said, you know, the day that you became a Christian, you came under the Great Commission, the the uh, that Christ said, go forth and preach the gospel, teach the good news to all the world, and that from the day that you converted, you had all of the uh, all of the the respect, all, all of the all of the paperwork, all of the power necessary to yeah. to perform the mission. And why would you put yourself at the whim and mercy of a a committee of men or women and or both at a seminary to decide your destiny if you truly believe in God and that uh, God is all-powerful and that he's the one who told you to go, then step out in faith. And yeah, you may not have the, uh, the respect of the established church, but as long as you are seeking truth, and reading your Bible and praying and seeking godly counsel and remaining accountable. You know, no man's an island. You can't go out there by yourself and, 
and not be accountable to anybody. But uh, as long as you submit yourself to these biblical concepts, you know, God's going to bless your ministry. He's going to put people in your path who really need prayer and need support, and you know, um, and your ministry is going to grow. And and just because you may not have a church of ten thousand people, maybe you only have two or three that you meet with and do a Bible study once once a week or mm-hmm. once a month, you still have influence. You still have impact. Mm-hmm. And and that uh, you know, it would be nice if the church corporate. And this isn't to pick on any single pastor, but to say the system of itself, the way it has emerged, would stop being a respecter of persons. Yes. And Absolutely. would step up, step up, and, and, and stand tall, stand together, well, shoulder to shoulder, it, it, arm in arm, yeah. and say, this is where we stand. And if you challenge our liberty, if you tell us to yeah. mask, if you yeah. tell us to reduce yeah. how we reach people, yeah. when we reach them, how many people come into our building or where we take our yeah. ministry... Uh, out into the field, the minister, the missions field, um, we're just going to tell you, you know, you have no authority. Yeah. God gives us a th- this authority, and, and it uh, is superior to anything that man can do. Yeah. Well, and they need to become leaders again, which we're, we're sorely lacking. I mean, you can, we're not able to do it through political parties. Our political parties are not leading us anymore. You know, the presidency is done for, as far as I'm concerned. We, they've shown us, the majority of people, somehow have shown us that this is what they want as a president. Think about that. Think about that. That is horrifying. I, I don't know if they showed us what they want as a president, what they are willing to accept so that they stay comfortable. Well, that's what they and, want. And Same. they want that to be, they want to yeah. be comfortable with it, but we're, for so long, and I look back at the schooling system, for so long we've fallen under this idea of authority dictates to me what I'm going to do. And it's been like that for 20, 30 years going through school. Do it because I said so. Whether it's a doctor telling you, it's a college professor telling you, it's your pastor, it's your anything like that. So the, the thinking cap has gone off. Be now, a drone. Be a drone. Now, I'm like, I'm like you. I graduated with a, uh, from college with a, with a philosophy degree, a minor in religion. And, but I'm like, you've got to be able to think. And that's one of the things that horrible things I did to my kids. I taught them how to think and mm. think critically. Um, and it's hard to win arguments with them now, isn't it? Yeah, I don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my folks told me a story recently where they said, you know, there was a point in my, my young childhood, and I was their first child, mm. where I would argue and they would tell me just basically do it because I said so. Okay. But then they had, a, they had an actual a thinking conversation as parents. They sat down and they said, well, what kind of child are we raising? Do we want him just to comply because we told him to? Or do we want him to have a good reason and understand our reasoning behind it? And so they said they made the conscious decision. And I was a motor mouth as a kid, you know. Uh, of course, that's changed. I'm not so much anymore. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Okay, so, so, so maybe, maybe that's not the case. But, uh, but they said, you know, they said that uh, they wanted, they wanted me to be able to defend my position and to have a critical mind and, and to be able to, you know, stand up for myself and speak for myself and, and have clarity in my thought. And, and, um, they said they regretted that decision many times because, you know, we got into these long protracted arguments because they had this kid who was constantly challenging their authority, but they were willing to have the conversations. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, they were always right, and mm. I still had to comply. <laughs> but they at least allowed me to express my my uh, position, and then they would argue that position and um, make me defend it. 
you know, and sometimes I do recall on some occasions where I was able to reason with them and they, they would give me, they'd throw me a bone, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they'd allow me to win the argument and to, to do that thing that I wanted. But I really had to like, you know, stand on top of a hill and defend my position to the death, you know, before they would, they would allow me to, to do something different than they had established. So, you know, there's this word that we've used in the past, and we hear it oftentimes, and I don't think people really um, understand it that well. It's cognitive dissonance. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. Uh, this phrase. <laughs> so uh, cognitive dissonance uh, is a noun. Uh, it's used in psychology, in a psychological perspective, and it means the state of having inconsistent thoughts beliefs or attitudes especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change and so and these 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 uh conflicting attitudes or thoughts or beliefs are often diametrically opposed right and you're having to hold these two thoughts Mm -hmm. at the same time these hold these two beliefs at the same time and that is very destructive to your psyche so I don't know how much weight we should give to Wikipedia because they've been shown to be, mm. you know, uh, no. they can be changed and influenced. But I'm going to read what Wikipedia mm. says. It says, in the field of psychology, cognitive, you know, this is an act of cognitive dissonance because we're yeah. going to use something from Wikipedia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that it's probably not, probably not accurate. But uh, so in the field of co- uh, psychology, cognitive dissonance is the perception of contradictory information. Mm-hmm. Relevant items of information includes a person's actions, feelings, ideas, beliefs, and values, and things in the environment. Cognitive dissonance is typically experienced as a psychological stress when persons participate in an action that goes mm-hmm. against one or more of those things. According to this theory... When two actions or ideas are not psychologically consistent with each other, people do all in their power Mm -hmm. to change them until they become consistent. The discomfort is triggered by the person's belief clashing with new information perceived, wherein the individual tries to find a way to resolve the contradiction to reserve or reduce his or her discomfort. Mm -hmm. And so... Or is the way I like to put it, I heard uh, Dr. Laura used to listen to her and she had a woman phone in and said, you know, my husband beats me every Thursday. What should I do? (laughs) Dr. Laura says, leave him. And the woman said, no, no, my husband beats me every Thursday. What should I do? And Dr. Laura says, again, leave him. And the woman says for the third time, no, no, every Thursday he beats me. That is cognitive dissonance in the real world application. And that's what is people who get a vaccine, they get the number one. And I've seen this on vaccine, COVID vaccine injuries. They have a reaction to the, the first vaccine. They go and they get the second one and they have sort of, you know, so, so let's one. clarify. And then now let's let's got, clarify for people out there who that's cognitive who, dissonance, who, who may not know the reference you just gave. Right. So, so the COVID vaccine injuries is a, is is a, a feed is that a, is on, on Telegram, Telegram, which is, is on app. Telegram. So, so yeah. if you are of the position that all this discussion about vaccine injuries is disinformation and, yeah. and fake news, yeah. I dare you yeah. to follow the feed and maintain that position. If you can, if you can stand to, to, 
to read it. It, it is it's, like a rolling ticker of it's, death. It's horrifying. It is. And it's even more cognitive dissonant when if you as a parent can read that and then turn around and give Juno your kid comes a jab. along and says, oh, by the way. And the FDA, one of the regulators himself said, well, we don't really know what's going to happen until we actually inject it. Think I, about that. I had a prominent person in my life uh, recently um, basically challenge statements about ivermectin and and uh you know these therapeutics um when i provided uh some some commentary about it that was based on a wide range of stories that i'd read Mm -hmm. and the first thing that they did was they went to um a contra uh, contradictory fake news channel yeah 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 i think it was breitbart and they sent, sent me a link to Breitbart mm-hmm. and said, read this one story. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then they told me, uh, you cannot use anecdotal information to defend this indefensible position about the use of these other drugs. Instead, in lieu of the vaccine. Yeah. But then right on the heels of that, they gave me a story of a close friend or associate that they knew who used therapeutics rather than the vaccine and died Mm -hmm. as their evidence as their evidence so they used their own anecdotal story of somebody and and i haven't heard anybody in the medical profession say that the use of therapeutics guarantees you life i've heard them make the the take the position that it gives you a better fighting chance but that that yeah. COVID can still kill you if you're if you're using ivermectin, if you're using hydroxychloroquine, uh, ZPAC, the other uh, uh, um, vitamins and and uh, supplements, and then the second and third and fourth tier drugs. Mm-hmm. That even if you do all those things, that there still mm-hmm. is the possibility yeah. that this yeah. virus can take you out. But but this individual had. And if I challenged them to say that you're suffering co- from cognitive dissonance, I don't know that we would still have a relationship. And yeah. I value the relationship yeah. above the argument. Yeah. Right. Um, I just wish that they would take a closer look at how they frame their own dissenting argument against me and and not dismiss everything I said because I used some anecdotal evidence. You know, and really, if we talk about this feed on 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 Telegram, yeah, it, it's all anecdotal. It's all anecdotal, but it has it's people posting oh. photos and stories of but, their loved ones who have died. But of their but of their VARES reports too. Yeah, There's that, a lot of people that actually put the VARES and they put they put uh, you know their hospital records. Right. There's a lot of it, it's not just uh, you know third hand in a coffee shop. And the thing you have to remember, too, is all this uh, research and investigation into different things uh, for time immemorial has all begun out of, quote unquote, anecdotal um, stories. Right. And I keep hearing I keep hearing that if I strike these two rock, this rock and this flint together, I get sparks. I'm going to give it a try. And now experimentation starts. We the scientific method kicks in, but it begins with anecdotal. It always does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in in and then and then when we take data sets like like the the data coming out of out of India, uh, uh, Uttar Pradesh. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. Out of, out of Uttar Pradesh, uh, yeah. with with uh, two hundred and forty one million people receiving yeah. 
therapeutics and then their COVID numbers crashing and say, well, we're just going to categorically dismiss Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. You know, again, cognitive dissonance. Well, uh, you, you've bought into a narrative that Fauci and, and the, the dominant media have spun for two years to the point that anything that contradicts it, that shows shows uh, those strongly held beliefs to mm-hmm. actually may not uh, uh, to not be so strongly founded. And maybe even wrong. It, people are uncomfortable with that because uh, in the case that I was talking about, the individual I was talking with has taken the vaccine. And now they're trying to defend the position, and it, and, and, and and maybe and they're don't feeling want any other and, evidence, and maybe they're feeling uncomfortable about taking the vaccine. Yeah, and I did have I did have a friend that took a shot of vaccine and had some cognitive dissonance over time with it, but generally kept it quiet and was very respectful and just like I was respectful for them and the choice that they made. The choice right. they made was fine; it did not affect our relationship at all. But it took some matter of months for them to come back and say. Without, we weren't even talking about it. Just offered out and said, you know, ever since I got that jab, I haven't felt right. Right, right. And I can't seem to get back on top and of I, things. And I have a relative who, who basically more or less said the same thing. I got mm-hmm. the jab, yeah. and they said, I'm not getting the next one. Yeah. I'm not getting the booster, and I'm definitely not giving it to my children. Yeah. So so there, there is this yeah. group of people out there who... who I think altruistically believed that their government was there to protect them and wanted to be good uh, citizens and wanted to be a good neighbor and out of a conscientious place made the decision, you know, I'm going to do what's right and I'm going to get, I'm going to get the vaccine. And now in retrospect, maybe because they don't feel right, or maybe just because they've read some more, heard some more and, and aren't buying the hype the same way that they were before have, are less, uh, they're they're less naive about, or or better informed about the next choice they're going to make. Right, and um, and it's those people that the liberty movement needs to court, yeah. because this isn't a anti-vax versus you know um, pro-vax. Man, I just posted some conversation. This this is a that. liberty conversation. It boils mm-hmm. down to that choice yeah. statement. You may have chosen to get the first vaccination. You may have chosen to get the second. You may choose to get them all. You may have have chosen to do those first two, which used to be the definition of fully vaccinated. But then as they moved the goalposts, you went, now, wait a second. Uh, Aunt Gertrude, who is fully vaccinated, got sick with COVID, more sick than, and they said it was not supposed to be as sick if she did get a breakthrough case, but she almost died. So I'm a little skeptical about taking the booster. You know, we need to have room for those folks in the discussion so that we don't remain polarized. And the, the, the main the, the mainstream media wants us to remain polarized, wants this to be a, a pro-vax versus anti-vax conversation, when really the conversation is pro-liberty versus uh, pro-socialism, because, pro-communism. Because Communism. with the, um, the one-a-day pill now... How they can mandate that if 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 they carry on and they uh, accomplish uh, the vaccine mandate, they can mandate the pill. They can mandate anything in the future because they've already set a precedent, and we've agreed to it, and we've said it's it it overwhelms individual rights, and I don't think people are thinking of that because the vaccine is now three shots and a booster. It's no longer two shots. 
and a booster. It's now three shots and a booster. And a partridge in a pear tree. And a partridge in a oh, pear tree. Oh, and by tree. the way, yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas are going to suck. Yeah. Get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it already sucked the last few years with what they've done to them. I wonder if <laughs> Ann Zink, I wonder if Ann Zink is going to double down like, you know, last Thanksgiving she was pretty convinced that we were all going to kill grandma if we brought her to Thanksgiving. She, she, she didn't take everybody to Florida. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> she, maybe instead of a maybe instead of a camper van, she can get one of those huge touring buses. Yeah, and we can all go to the beach with her family. Yeah, well, she's gonna take everybody to Florida. Want to bet? Want to bet your money? You, you know, know, I, I want to take this opportunity to tell our feckless governor once again that I don't care what lawsuit you press against uh, Brandon. I mean Joe Biden. Um, your administration sucks, and your commissioner Adam Crum. And your chief executive or chief medical officer, Ann Zink, they need to be fired. And you need to pull your head out of whatever hole it's stuck in. And you need to actually look at the facts. Grow some testicles. We need somebody. I mean, for a man as tall as you are, you know, the size of your huevos is really in question here. Because we expect you to defend and protect and uphold our Constitution and the rights of Alaskans. And the fact that you have not stepped out and made a, a, a bolder statement, one actually backed up by action, rather than, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and, and sue the feds, but actually look inwardly to your own administration. If you can't take care of your own house, what do you think you're going to accomplish by suing the federal government? It great, makes for great optics. That's what it's all about on that yeah. one. It's just, it's just the optics. It's on just that optics. One. Mm-hmm. But why don't you do something real? Stand with these other governors like DeSantis and 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 Perry and 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 the the gal the the gal, the, the, the gal in South. Yeah. Holy smokes! Yeah, maybe no, maybe we can get her no. to come up here and you know I don't know run against him. But I'm say she's probably got more huevos. She can bring up. He can borrow a pair of hers. Yeah, yeah. You sh- he should. You know, um, because he has the he has the power to to change his administration. He could change it today. If he wanted to, and that's really what I think we need to drill into is he doesn't want to. The proof is in the pudding. If he wanted to, it would be done. Right. And if somebody has dirt against you, governor, and they've threatened you and said, if you come out, we're going to tell the world about this thing. I don't care what it is you've done. Come clean. The only power they have over you is the power you give them. You remember Donald Trump when he was on the, the bus and he talked about, uh, you know, women's vaginas and, and, and things and, and was grossly inappropriate, terribly inappropriate. I mean, disgustingly inappropriate. And what did he say when he was confronted with that? He didn't walk it back like, like Bronson did on his recent comments they said were inappropriate to the Jewish community about the Holocaust. He, he didn't walk it back, you know, like so many others do when they're confronted. He said, you know what? It was locker room banter. Mm-hmm. Every guy does it. And, um, yeah, you know, so what? Nothing to see here. I disagree with him. I don't think every guy does it. I don't think everybody, every but, guy does it, but a private conversation mm-hmm. when you are, if you listen to that whole thing, he was pushed and pushed and pushed before he said anything like that. And it was still a private conversation with somebody he didn't know he was being recorded. You know, it's, I, it's still, it's still, it's still got under my skin because I, I've been taught 
to respect you know women uh, as a young child on up and and to say something so grotesque yes it was it was nasty but he didn't the point is he didn't walk it back right. he owned it well he was a man he owned it right he owned it. and and because he owned it the left had no power they thought we're going to nail him with this thing to the wall and he was like so what locker room talk moving on got no time for you fake news just because I had locker room talk doesn't make me a poor leader, doesn't make me not know what foreign policy should be, doesn't make me, you know, um, a poor a poor choice for, you know, determining economic policy or, or domestic needs um, because he'd already proven yeah. his ability to navigate the, the bureaucratic and, and governmental systems in New York and, and so many other cities to build these huge towers. Mm-hmm. And, and his, his ability to generate productivity and success in environments that are designed to stop people from being productive or successful. Yeah, and, but you also t- turn and look at our current Brandon, I mean, Biden in the office, and what was carefully swept under the rug throughout the whole campaign, what he had going on in Delaware, the number of times that he's been uh, pulled up for sexual harassment and or abuse, inappropriate touching, and all that disappeared. Just like his his son's laptop, all that got swept aside. So it was really just a, um, it shows you we only want somebody in here we can control. And who is the we? I, I don't know. Do you have an answer for that? Who's the people above this? I don't know. But whoever's controlling our governor, you know, the governor needs to call him out. You know, the truth will set you free, Governor Dunleavy. Either you are an abject moron or you're being controlled, or you're truly evil. Those are the three options. You're a moron, you're evil, or you're being controlled. If you're being controlled, then you need to, you need to, you need to, to call the out for what it is, own it, and move on. We have forgiveness. We have the ability to extend you respect, which we're withholding right now, because you haven't acted in principle. And we need you to step up. We need you to take the executive authority you have and take some of that money that you have access to in your budgets and send an airplane to India and come back with a boatload, a plane load of, of, of therapeutics and, and set up therapeutic uh, uh, options around the state. Mm-hmm. You need to not only tell the feds you're going to sue them, but you need to double down on states' rights and say, as the lesser magistrate, actually, you're a sovereign, so you know that's not even... Not even in the conversation, but but that that as a sovereign, um, as the executive of sovereign state, that we're going to exercise whatever you know policy uh, we need to to protect our population and to mm-hmm. stop this outrageous, unnecessary you know uh, rate of death and suffering in our in our state. There are people flocking here from all over the country, trying to get away from the draconian lockdown policies of the blue states. Coming to a place that's starting on its way to that's draconian, right. and that's can't right. he? Now you know more about this, Jason, but can't he be the barrier? Like Ron DeSantis has said, no, I'm going to find school districts if they have mask mandates. Can't he stop the vaccination mandate in Juneau? Well, you can't know, he stop the mask know, mandate in in Anchorage, which is destroying Anchorage? So, so the federal government has said that any any contractor that Mm -hmm. receives federal funds must comply with their mandates, which are unconstitutional, right? Well, he could do the flip 
the reverse, uh, the, the same but reverse action by saying every organization that accepts state funds yeah. must uphold liberty and choice and may not mandate. But how do you mandate? That's constitutional. But how do you mandate a vaccine? Well, I'm, I'm for just, children. I, I'm just saying. Which, I'm just which, saying. Yeah. He has the power. Yeah. He has the power to say. Yeah. The the state's purse is not open to yeah. any business or organization sure. that has uh that that has taken this position that they're going to force people to take this vaccine. If you force anybody to take this vaccine, your contracts will uh, be voided because mm-hmm. you're acting in an unconstitutional mm-hmm. manner. And that's a breach of contract because mm-hmm. everything you do yeah. has to be within the law yeah. and you're breaking the law. And so therefore your contract is null and void yeah. and you don't have access to government funding anymore. Yeah. You but, would, you yeah. would see people, including the native organizations that receive pass through money from the, from the feds yeah. that goes to the state and then to them, you would see a bunch of folks jump off the bandwagon for vaccines and say, Oh, it's your choice. Is because it's all linked to money, yeah, and it's always it's, been about money for since the very it's, beginning. It's always been about money, and so so they may say, "Well, the state doesn't have all that much money to give. We'd rather take all the money from the feds." Well, so be it. But yeah. they don't have access to state resources. They don't have have access to state emergency funds. They don't have access to state consultation. You know, the the administration can do a whole lot of things. Now, the legislature might push back the rhinos and the, the Democrats in the legislature, you know, and say that it's an abuse of power and they might take him to court and, you know, all of these different things. But uh, but he could take a position stand well, because short of doing that, he's not going to get reelected. Mm-hmm. You know, if he wants to be reelected, I mean, if that's something that's in his mind, he's going to have to do some real quick talking and some quick, you know, stepping and and show that he's the man for the job. And 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 own the mistakes that he's made, and in in the trust that he's laid, may, maybe mislaid with the with the deep state, and and the career bureaucrats. Well, my my question though is: Is he taking it a step farther? Where is his um, protection for an Alaskan citizen? I'm not talking about the mandates going out like you're talking about. We're going to counter that way. I I agree with that. But doesn't need whether you're federal, whether you're whether you're state, whether you're local, where does the protection come for an individual Alaskan citizen having uh, autonomy and making choices about their own person? That's what needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't care whether you work for the the uh, forestry department as a fed, you're still an Alaskan. Right. And Alaskans need to be protected mm-hmm. from that kind of mandate. Well, and, and, and he and he appoints, you know, he, he appoints the uh, the attorney general for the state. You know, the attorney general has to be confirmed, which the attorney general was confirmed. But but that attorney general is the chief law enforcement officer in the state and and get the attorney general to go after people who break the law and, and call it for what it is. If you infringe on somebody's liberty, you're breaking the law. If you're a private company and you're infringing on somebody's liberty, you're breaking the law and and come down with the full force of the state on them. Take them to court. You know, when people are, are just like when we were threatened by the state that if we didn't comply with the COVID mandates and somebody got sick or could point to our business and say they got sick, they could levy these draconian fines on us. And that if that person actually died, that they could put me as a business owner in prison and fine me $1.5 million in damages. Are you joking? No, no. That's no, what that's no, what Governor Dunleavy it. did last year. I didn't that's know. what he did. No. And and through Adam Crum and through Anzink and their administration, they 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 bullied Alaska's private businesses 
and said, if you do not comply with these mandates that we've, we have the emergency authorization to compel you to, to follow, here is what you will face. Now, yes, they were unconstitutional, and the argument could be made, well, you can you know, have your day in court. But the reality is, is that the state's pockets are so deep, yeah. and they have so many yeah. lawyers, and the, the system is rigged and stacked from the top to the bottom, and the bottom to the top that the private citizen doesn't have a snowball's chance in Hades of fighting against that by themselves. So maybe we need to hope that he doesn't run again. Because <laughs> I, I didn't realize that. I didn't follow it at the beginning, and I'm not a business owner and, and that. I didn't realize he'd, levied, he'd wanted to levy such Well, he's, he's running again. You know, he's well, running again. We need I mean, to it's make clear sure he that he's win. doing that. He's, he's fundraising yeah. right now. Yeah. Well. So, so, so really, the, the point... You know, to him is if you're gonna, I, you know, there's rumblings right, yeah. that Walker's gonna run again. Oh my God! You know, it's so right. so it's imagine worse. imagine the pandemic under Walker. Oh yeah, it'd be even worse. It'd yeah, be like so under Cuomo. But I haven't yeah. heard of anybody else that is stepping up to run against Den Levy from the conservative side. Yeah, well that's oh, well goes that's back. not true. That's not true. Bruce Walden said that he was running for governor, but yeah. that was the yeah. first and last time that I heard about Bruce Walden as a candidate. But that goes back to the Republican, you know, Republicans in Alaska should be ashamed because they should have more, we should have more than these lean pickings, you know. But they don't, they don't show up to vote. The, 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 the rank and file, uh, you know, Republican voter doesn't even show up to vote in, in local elections. The only time they really show up in, in any kind of numbers is in a presidential year or gu- gubernatorial yeah. year. Yeah. Well, but that's, again, the fault of the, the local Republican organizations, because that's, that's who's being charged with getting out the vote, informing people, finding candidates, developing candidates. That's their job. You know, they collect tens of thousands of dollars from individuals. I'm one they keep sending me things, support this, support that, you know, and, and um, they need to do a better job with it. You know, we talk, you talk about being ashamed of the pastors not leading. Republicans have not led, you know, at all. So, yeah. So, so if you live in District 30, Kenai and Soldatna, uh, the chairman for the Republican Party is a gentleman by the name of Randy Daly. Mm. And uh, I would encourage you to get a hold of Mr. Daly and ask him what the local committee is doing to push back. Because he's he and, and a handful of others are the ones that are deciding what is communicated to the central committee. Yeah. Um, there is a bonus vote. So yeah. because we have uh, Republican representation across the board in this in this district, um, we get two votes in the central committee. Uh, Mr. Daly is one of those votes. And then there's a person who holds the position of bonus vote. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who that is right now, but um, they have the ability to go up to these these uh, regular meetings at the at the state level, and hold the the chairman of the Repo- Republican Party uh, hold their feet to the fire and mm-hmm. say we need to become more aggressive in holding the administration and those who call themselves Republicans mm-hmm. uh, accountable yeah. for not stepping up for liberty. Yeah. You know, um, you it know, would be nice to see a resolution come out of the Central Committee that condemns every Republican who wears a face mask and condones the lockdown yeah. of the state capitol. Yeah. Are we going to see that? Not likely. But, you know, and, and you said Republicans don't vote. Well, I've gone to some of those meetings, the, the district meetings and that. and The same 15 people are there. Well, and I blame them 
quite frankly, because the average person doesn't have the time to delve into the depths of the Republican Party. They don't. That's why I went. And what I saw there was it was um, they yeah, if they're taking money and they do get they do get a certain amount of money and they have a certain amount of power, um, they need to they need to up their game. And maybe it's wrong to blame them, but they're the ones that want to lead our party right? They're the ones that stepped up and said, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to go to the national meeting. I want to be able to go there. I remember when Donald Trump was being, uh, you know, you know, elected and they, they, that was their plans. They, that was the big thing for them was to be able to go to the, the convention and be there on the floor when they nominated President Trump. Well, with that comes a certain amount of responsibility. So let's not blame the voters, the voters, you can only vote for what you know. You can only deal with what you know. Well, I'm just saying the folks who don't vote, the, well, the electorate. So the electorate. maybe not the voters themselves, but the folks who choose to not vote. And that in itself, some have argued, is a mm. form of voting, Yeah. which I would disagree. Well. But, um, you know, uh, by not engaging, you just seed the field. You just give it up. You, you allow the enemy to take the territory, whether that's the establishment Republicans who are, you know, crony capitalists and they're just looking for access through their political involvement or whether that's the left. It, it's 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 uh, it, it's just capitulating and saying, I have no power. And and really, the power comes from us. And so if you say you have no power and then you act powerless, then you just automatically give power to those who will take it, not to those who we can bestow it upon, mm -hmm. but to those who will take it. They but, will take advantage of that vacuum. But where did these Republican voters learn that from? We learned that from watching our leaders. And it, it, George Bush, you know, he bent over as much backwards as he could. Trent Lott, remember the thing? Trent Lott was the one, didn't he go to the, um, he went to the funeral of somebody wasn't that Trent Lott that went to the funeral of somebody that was supposedly in the KKK? And he ended up resigning. He was the Republican. It was either minority leader, majority leader, oh, yeah, yeah. something. I mean, every, I've been following American politics for 30 years. And every single leader, I as a voter, I learned, I look at them and go, well, what use? If you think what's happened in Alaska, they've done it on the national level. There's been so many Republican leaders that just bend over. Look at Mitch McConnell right now. Everybody's walking around going, oh, isn't he great? No. <laughs> no. Paul Ryan. We, ha you know, the, the populace handed Donald Trump a House, a Senate, and the presidency. And what did the House do? Paul Ryan stood in the way of Donald Trump every single. Mitch McConnell yeah, stood in the tray the, of every those policy. Were the, those were the so, never Trumpers. Yeah. So why would anybody as a voter, why would you care? You know, seriously, why would you care? So you've got to, you know, again, just like I think it's stupid, not evil. I think it's depression. Well, we saw quite frankly, the exhaustion, exhaustion, maybe, maybe exhaustion. Well, they're just like, <clears throat> why would Republicans vote count? Right. We we gave Dunleavy what they said he wanted. We gave him a majority. And he we didn't have it, it wasn't a true majority, though. Wow. Because, because the voters. Yeah, that's true. The voters voted. For Kelly Merrick. Wow. Yeah. Joey Merrick's wife. Mm. I mean, you don't have to be a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist or like like I like to call them, you know, uh, brain, uh, no, rocket surgeons. Rocket right? surgeons. You don't, <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon to to see the, the correlation between Joey Merrick as a labor boss mm -hmm. and, 
and uh, Representative Fields, mm -hmm. as an employee of Joey Merrick, who is Representative Fields, is also very, very uh, staunch liberal mm -hmm. Democrat in the House, and then have have Kelly Merrick elected as the Republican mm. from <laughs> from Eagle River, and then people are surprised. When she aligns with the Democrats. But doesn't that go back again to the Republican Party in Alaska that we don't sit up and they don't make a stink? No, they just, when, the, 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 the voters, the voters who voted her in and the, those who chose not to vote at all abdicated their authority or just weren't paying attention or didn't do their but research. how was she allowed to rub, run as a Republican? Well, the, the Supreme Court has said that uh, the well, Republican yeah. Party does not have ownership of the title. That's you true. can call yourself whatever you want to because that's yeah. one of the few remaining freedoms they allow us. But they could have done some advertising and say, hey, she's not. Right, she's, we could have used the political action committee. Yeah, to say she's not a Republican. If, if there's things you can do, if that's what this, if that's what the, this consequence is, is you know anybody can run. I'm Canadian, so we don't. That doesn't happen. If you're a if you're a liberal in Canada, the Liberal Party has elected you. You cannot run independently. You don't have. You have to have a party behind you. You have to be vetted. That's one of the differences. And it's always confused me that you've got these people. I look at and go, that is not a Republican. Like yeah, you know, well, how does that work? We're, we're running long. Yeah. And uh, okay. I want to give our guest, uh, David Saldivar, kind of the, the last uh, opportunity to throw your, your final comments into I'll the I'll do mix. it just before you read before from Josh's we, book over there. Before we read some serious uh, rules. Okay. I'm... I don't, we've been way far afield in a lot of things here. Some of it, like the local politics and things that I'm not as versed in as I'm finding out I should be. So I should be hanging my head, but the, that's right. But hang it low. Originally, you know, coming back to the COVID, which I see that you've brought a lot of things in here talking about that. One of the interesting things that we had was when I had it last month and I didn't even know I had it for quite a while, but my wife called our doctor in Mexico to find out, you know, what treatments and whatnot. And our doctor, she just said, well, it's really easy. Here, just take, just, um, just go out to your store, buy some ivermectin, and be we use it in Mexico all the time. It's easy. It takes care of everything. And Yeah, but you told her, I can't buy it at the store, right? Right. And so what did she do? She went and started um, investigating, sending it via UPS, investigating, sending it uh, via FedEx up to us, and found out that those places are monitoring and they're going through very carefully and not allowing it to leave the country from one of those places. Now, you think that had that order had to come from even up higher. Yeah. And again, it's an authoritarian issue. Somebody at the top there, just there, told the there, top. That's called interdiction. Yep. Somebody there. just told the top. Yeah, you, you'll monitor this now. Whether it's right or it's wrong, it doesn't matter. Nobody questions. That's why my whole thing about questioning authority. We're not doing that anymore. We're not holding authority to account. And at some point... It'll be like a diesel engine. You squeeze that gas or that diesel hard enough, it's going to explode. And I think that's what we're working our way towards. Um, and I don't think they're going to like it. But they are counting on us not doing anything. Beagles. 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 Yeah, they're going to cut the, cut the vocal that. cords out. That's what they're going to try to do. Maybe we need a grotesque image of a beagle being tortured on a T-shirt. Well, you always, you know, we always say, say yeah. th you know, thank the high prophet of Big Pharma. Yeah. But uh, along with the Beagles, in, in Queensland, one of the councillors wants to, um, it's just a little blurb I've got, wants to find people if they come up to a council meeting and they object. 
to something that the counselors are doing. So that's next well, they're on already, the list. But they're is doing they're going that. To start you know, they're, they're doing that with the school boards L- now. L- here, L- you know. Loudon County. Yeah, yeah. yeah Loudon you, County. You are you, you. Your daughter was raped in a bathroom by a transgender yeah. boy. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Yeah. And if you say something, yeah. we're going to bloody your face yeah, and we're going to arrest you. Rip your pants uh, yeah, off. Yeah, we're going to throw you on the ground, rip your pants off, and bloody your face, which is almost what the boy did to his daughter. Yeah. So. He did worse. Who's, did who's, worse. who's being abused? Yeah. You know, and we cannot be abused of and by our government. Um, speaking of which, we need some more rules in our lives. Mm. This comes from the Book of Rules. This is uh, Rule 6-9, Elevator Etiquette. Okay. Okay. So all you... Uh, uh, he ru- did bathrooms once, which was really touching. All, that all, was not no, a good... I've had, I've had my just, arguments no, with see, the there's, there's no that. touching in the bathroom. That's... Yeah, so... I didn't mean touching that way. Come oh, on. okay. All right. So elevators are mounted cars designed to vertically transport groups of people from one floor to another. Individuals should calmly and politely enter and exit elevators at all establishments. Elevator doors should be held open for all individuals entering or exiting the cab. The following elevator procedures are mandatory unless an emergency situation exists. Healthy, non-handicapped adults are only authorized vertical transportation in an elevator when traveling two floors or more. So, in other words, use the stairs. (laughs) Okay. Uh, that's subsection A. Subsection B. All exiting individuals shall be allowed to egress before elevator boarding may occur. Mm-hmm. So don't be rude. Let the people who are in out before you okay. go in. Subsection C. Children under the age of 12 may be allowed to press the button unless multiple children are present where feuding may occur. <laughs> Uh, subsection uh, D, whenever polite conversation is initiated by another elevator occupant, acknowledgement is mandatory. Polite social conversational acknowledgement may be accomplished verbally or non-verbally with a smile and or another polite gesture. Uh, subsection E, socially discouraged practices such as swearing and farting, see board, uh, a book of rules 6-4, <laughs> shall be avoided after the elevator doors have closed. <laughs> so you can do this while the elevator doors <laughs> are open. open. <laughs> thus allowing, you know, quick individuals to escape. <laughs> Although if there's a number of you crowded in and somebody's in a wheelchair, yeah. <laughs> it's doubly difficult for them because they're at a certain height yeah, yeah. where the offensive uh, action could be even more offensive and... Typically, it might cause them to run somebody over, you know, in trying to escape. Uh, Subsection E, um, no, subsection F, singing or whistling along with elevator music is prohibited unless an individual is alone. So that's almost like one of those, uh, the tree falls in the forest. Mm -hmm. All right, so the second rule for today, this is... Book of Rules 11-7, this is terminating phone calls. Okay. Proper etiquette shall be exercised on all telephone calls. All rules associated with face-to-face conversation apply to phone conversation. However, it may be difficult to find a break in conversation when communication with a verbal, with a verbose individual. 
This may create complications when attempting to terminate a phone conversation. In this case, telephone conversations may be terminated in one of the two following ways. A. Abruptly and politely speaking over the other individual, use a phrase such as, I've got to go. <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> I've got to go. Uh, B. Pressing the number nine on the telephone keypad at gradually increasing in <laughs> intervals. This this action hinders communication. <laughs> and look, uh, Joshua gave us a, a convenient little graphic oh, showing oh, how to yeah, hit the number nine. Number nine. You know. <laughs> What does uh, that do? Does sufficiently that like to sound? allow an individual to verbalize a request to terminate the call. Oh. <laughs> so that's uh, the book of rules, the right way to do everything, okay. written by Joshua Belter, available on Amazon for mere pennies. Um, check it out. It's a great stocking stuffer. You better order it now because, remember, Christmas is canceled. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to the Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon, brought to you by Ammo Can Coffee Social Club, and our friends Dave Standifer and his wife over at Standifer Stoneworks. Go check out their kitchens. He told me that if you are listed as a uh, member of the social club and you order a kitchen, he'll throw in the kitchen sink mm. for free. Ooh. So Ooh. it's not a $3,000 sink, but there will be a, a, a sink that will adequately meet your needs. So anyway, thank you for tuning in, folks. We've gone long. Well, I want to thank uh, Dave for joining us again. Uh, Dave Saldivar, and good to see that uh, Loretta's back in the saddle. Yeah, it was good to be back here and have Loretta here, but I just came in for coffee, too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that which reminds me, if you're in the shop on Saturday and you'd like to uh, voice your opinion, we welcome uh, conservative-minded folks who love America and love liberty, and we want this platform to be your own. Uh, also, any assistance you can lend to us in the way of financial support can be done through Patreon. Uh, you can look at that uh, on our Podbean platform or on our uh, homepage at ammocancoffee.ninja and just go ahead and uh, make your donation there. Any funds received will be used to support this podcast and our guests bringing uh, more and more colorful and interesting commentary and people uh, to your listening enjoyment. Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you on the flip side.